Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. O-G. Make some noise. Next guest has worked with Premier, Marco Polo, Sky Zoo, the late great Sean P, Master Ace, Talib Kweli, and more. He's not just an artist, he's a true representative of hip-hop and hip-hop culture. His latest album, produced by Pro- um, Praise, called All Praise Do, is great. He's Torrey, and I want to welcome him to the library, live from Hackensack, Meridian Health, Stage 17. Thanks for being here, man. Tim, thank you for having me, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, so, as I mentioned, I'm going to go all over the place with this thing. Um, on... On All Praise Do, there's it's either sampled or you mention their names. You mention and sample either Biggie, Big Pun, Sean Price, um, and many more. But mm-hmm. for those three, what has then been their influence on you? But then just the overall, what has been their influence in your in your mind on hip hop culture? Um, I mean, three of the greats: Biggie, Big Pun, and Sean P. Um, two from Brooklyn, right. one from the Bronx, the birthplace of hip hop. So, I mean, it's just hip hop all throughout, just that synergy right there. Um, pun, you know, one of the greatest lyricists of all times. I think that's, um, not even arguable, arguable. Um, also, I think what he did for the Latin community, mm-hmm. you know, being the first artist to go platinum and really, I think showing guys like there were other artists who were Latin that came before him, but pun really, you know, he was like on the cusp of almost superstardom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he had transcended just being a dope MC and a dope hip hop artist. He was like really growing into something else. And it was unfortunate that he passed away so soon. Um, Biggie. You know, just being a Brooklynite, being somebody that really loved lyricism. And, you know, Biggie was able to paint such a vivid picture. Like, when you listen to his records, you can see it. You know, he had a way of saying the simplest things, but making it sound the illest. You know what I'm saying? Like, And he was one of those guys who really had it all covered. He had a presence on mixtapes. You know, obviously, he was still here during mixtape culture. He had the streets. He had the dudes. He had the hustlers. He had the ladies. He had club records he had radio records you know he had something you could ride around to while you was in your jeep or if you was running from the cops like right. <laughs> he just really covered like all the grounds and he did it so well um again somebody that we lost too soon sean price um obviously somebody who had a really personal impact on me being one of my closer friends but long before i met sean he was one of my favorite mcs you know like yeah. i grew up in brooklyn again and just like Brooklyn MCs for me is something, it's something else, you know, it's right. another layer to it. 
Um, and and they were really close. You know what I'm saying? And when I mean close, it's like you could see them, you could touch them. Buckshot spent so much time in Coney Island. I would watch who got the props on Video Music Box, and they come outside, and he'd be in front of my building. So like that was crazy. Um, when I got a chance to link with Sean, he just automatically embraced me, which was is rare in hip hop overall, and especially with somebody is somebody that you're a fan of. You know, they say never meet your heroes. Sean was somebody who I was a fan of for such a long time. When he met me, he embraced me and and and, and loved my lyricism, and like that was crazy for me because he was somebody that I had admired from afar for so long. Um, my Pisces brother, you know, we hung out and we did stuff outside of music, which was amazing. Um, and again, of the three, you know, another one that we lost way too soon. So they all had a really big impact on me from, from a personal standpoint, from a hip hop standpoint, and just as an MC of learning how to grow and develop, you know, myself, they, they all, they all had a part. Uh, speaking of, I mean, speaking of Sean Price on, uh, all in together off of the Barrow Brothers album, you guys, he was featured on it along with Guilty Simpson. Um, you talk to you. you it's a hell of a record, by the way. It's an amazing record. <laughs> yes, I have to agree on that. Uh, Sean Price, you talk to people, you see, you know, B-roll video, whatever. He seemed like one of the funniest people just to know. Uh, but what is it like for you? To, what was it like just to sit down and collaborate on this record with him? Um, I mean, anytime you were around Sean, it was just like no holes barred. You know, he always had an amazing story or 20, depending on how long you were together. You know, he had a story about almost every circumstance and situation. Um, and just watching him write, you know, watching him and his process. Um, I think, yes, I think Hold Up, which we did with me and Marco did, that was before, uh, All In Together. Um, and then, Actually, the first time I was in the studio with Sean, well, the very first time, I'll tell you something crazy. The very first time I was in the studio with Sean Price, I was a, a wee lad, and my man Mighty from Coney Island, um, he knew I was an MC. He was like, yo, I'm going to take you to the studio, and he was like really tight with Buckshot, best friends. Um, he's like, yo, I'm going to take you to the studio, I'm going to take you to the studio, and you know, like, you don't know what to believe, yeah. but as a kid, you hope. And one day, like, he just knocked on my door in the projects, he was like, yo, we're going to the studio. And the session that we went to was um, for Soldiers Gone Psycho off the Helter Skelter Nocturnal album. Wow. So that was the very first time I was in the studio with Sean. The first time we ever worked on anything together in the studio was for a Babu album. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Babu hollered at Sean to do a verse for us project, one of the duck seasons. And um, Sean was like, yo, I'm doing this record for Babu. You want to jump on it? Come to the studio. And I was like... Absolutely. We went to the studio, we chilled, we hung out, we had a good time, and we wrote and we recorded, and then the song got lost. What? And then the song, uh, like, I don't know if the, like, because we was in like a hood studio yeah, in yeah. the middle of the style, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something crazy. <laughs> and um, for whatever reason, the session got lost. Um, Babu did hear the, the, the record, though. He heard the record, he heard the verse. We never did that record over, but obviously Sean and I went on to record a lot more, and then I ended up doing a solo record um, on one of the, 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 the feature, uh, future Babu albums. But that was like my introduction to Babs, you know what I'm saying? Like, he heard me through, or heard of me through Sean and loved what I had did, and Sean, you know, was just so gracious and offered me an opportunity to get on a project. That was like one of the first things I had ever done. Wow. Um, you talk about Brooklyn, and you're, you know, from Cody Island. Um, CI, what up? And and there's a moment. So obviously New York is becoming New York City as we know it, uh, is becoming unlivable in terms of like financial. Jesus right? Christ. Yeah. Um I mean I grew up in Washington Heights and apparently it's more expensive than 
like Jackson Heights, Queens now. Yo, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's it's crazy. Anything that's remotely close to the center, which is like the hub, the epicenter, anything that's remotely surrounding that is it's, like skyrocketing. Yeah, done. How has if you if you go back to your, where you grew up, how has I mean, how has the prices changed your neighborhood? But two, how if you if you, you know think about how how has that kind of the gentrification and the the rocketing of you know whatever apartments? Uh, how has that kind of you think changed the potential of the artists that might come out of it? Mm, that's very interesting. I think overall you're, you're losing a lot of the authenticity and the culture of these neighborhoods. Um, and then native people, you know, because people are being forced out, being priced out. And, you know, you just you losing the culture, you know, you're losing a part of the culture. And that's not to say like it's it's, a, it's twofold almost, you know, obviously cleaning up the streets and fixing the sidewalks and having healthier food options in the stores are great. Right. But you can't price the people out who made the neighborhood what it is, you know, um, Walking through the sty is whole, uh, what is it, Stuyvesant Heights now. Yeah. Walking through the sty is totally different. Walking through Fort Greene, you know, Marco was just here. Marco lives there. Marco yeah. couldn't exist on his block no, 20 no, years ago. No, you know no, what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and, and again, like, it's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, just you don't want the, the, the neighborhood, the culture, and the people who really make those neighborhoods what they are to be forced out. Um, Coney Island, I, I, I haven't lived in Coney Island in a long time, but I still go there. Like I still got my same barber that I had since I was a kid. So I'm still there a lot and I see the changes, you know, um, obviously there's a big multi-million dollar baseball stadium. There's still the amusement park that they did over. They just did the whole boardwalk over and they got a lot more plans for it. Um, but when I moved out, like you'd be hard pressed to go in the store and find like a 50 cent soda. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it was like filter fish and like they was doing away with the little Debbies and all of my neighbors were Russian or Asian, right. you know, whereas when I grew up, it was just black and brown people, you know? So, um, you know, you, you see the changes, you see the changes. And like I said, you know, you, you take the good with the bad, but you just hate to see like people that can't afford to live in the homes that they grew up in or their grandmothers grew up in. Um, and also people be tricked out of their, their land and their ownership. You know, you had a brownstone in your family for so many years and then you kind of fall on hard times or somebody comes around and offers you, you know, $400,000 is like the most money yeah. you've ever seen in your life. And then they turn around and flip it for 2.5. Right. You right, know, yeah. so like, it's bullshit, yeah, to be yeah. honest with you. So, you know, that's my answer. And there's a, a shell for a brownstone in Harlem is a million. Oh, nice. yeah. That's, I mean, that's on the low end. I know. I they know, might still crazy. sell crack on that block. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of neighborhoods, I mean, I think it's, um, you, you, you talked to, you talked to, you talk to you, you talk about art and you talk about you go to comedians and the comedians talk about like the, you know this I you don't know this guy but this is my comedian They're like comedians comedians uh, you growing up was there ever who was your like MC MC like the guy that maybe or the girl that did not is not an MTV not in the video you know not in video music box did not have that hit but kind of that person that if you brought him or her out would destroy anyone but still no one really knows about him um well. How do I answer that? I mean, there were guys like the guy I mentioned, Mighty, Mighty Real. Um, and you've heard Buckshot and, and, and yeah. Ruck and Rock mention him on records. He was somebody who I looked at. He was like a superhero in my hood. You know what I'm saying? Like his flow and, and style and cadence and wordplay was like always amazing to me. So he's somebody I took a lot of cues from. Um, as far as somebody who like had records out and did things like, 
I mean, Smooth the Hustler was always like top notch to me. Him and Trigger, like obviously they're brothers, but just like this synergy was out of this world crazy. And um, Smooth is somebody whose album I studied because I'm from the school of like we were fans of hip hop first, right? And then you got the passion and the love, and you was like, wow, I wonder if I could contribute. It wasn't like, yo, I can do that. Right. It was like, how can I contribute? How can I be a part of this and 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 add something to it? And I remember when I heard Broken Language, I was like, whoa. I was like, yo, if I can't do that or better, there's no sense in doing this. That was my mindset. And I think that was the mindset of a lot of MCs then. It was like, yo. Where's my lane? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I get in? It was so taboo to sound like anybody else or be reminiscing to somebody else or dress or feel like anybody else. So, like, I just remember hearing broken language and really my mind being blown like, holy shit, I got to, like, get better. Right. You talk about you talk about um, the mentality of not sounding like another MC. Like, I think DMC told me, he's like, you know, everyone's doing red. Our job is to do blue. Facts. Um, what about now? I mean... Everyone sounds like the same MC. If you turn on the radio, it's just the longest song yes. ever. <laughs> like you never, with interruptions from commercials and then they go right back to the song. It's so hard to distinguish between a lot of the new artists. And, um, you know, maybe that's just me listening with, with my 90s ear, if you want to call it that, or my purest ear or whatever. Um, but there are things out that I do enjoy now. So I'm not like anti yeah, yeah. new school or new age, anything like that. But, you know, it is hard to tell a lot of these guys apart. Whereas before, like when you heard an EPMD song, it didn't sound like a Tribe song, which didn't sound like a PE song, which didn't sound like a DOS Effect song, which didn't sound like Redman. You know what I'm saying? Like right. everybody was able to contribute and do something and be dope, but also find a way to stand out. You know, and I don't know if there's a lot of effort put into standing out. I think it's almost cooler to sound like whatever's out right now so you can kind of just slide in. I went to some showcase and the DJ was going and she might have changed the song. I'm not really sure. The people in the We're audience sure. thought she did. And every time they're like, oh, I was like, oh, I no idea what happened. And then I felt like the old guy. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Uh, I want to turn the album. It's a great album. Um, Thank all, you. All praise due. Um, this track, Start Godly. Mm -hmm. It's uh, To me, I heard it as like you're lyrically laying out your discography. Mm -hmm. You're kind of re reintroducing yourself to everyone. Right. Uh, why, why are you doing that on this track? I mean, you obviously have the, you have enough in this game to not have to do that, but this is a track where you're like, all right, let me, like, let me reintroduce myself to everyone. I mean, you would think so, but I feel like, you know, like social media is like the gift and the curse because, you know, there's a way to get to a new audience and, and, and get a chance to engage with your present audience and things like that. And I mean, I think as an MC, you always have something to prove with every outing. Um, and so on that particular track, when I ran through my discography and, and like some of my accomplishments, it was a reminder to those who may know me from a few of those, but not all. Or maybe right. even if you did know me from all, like I just wanted to really like cement it like this is what I've done. Um, if you just got on to me or maybe only know me from TV or only know me from radio, I'm like, no, I've, I've been doing this way longer than <laughs> your introduction to me last year. Right. And I'm not the TV guy or the radio guy trying to rap. I'm the MC that is just fortunate and blessed of, enough to be able to do other things. So, you know, it was like some duality to it. It was like, like a reintroduction to affirmation. Um, it was me kind of setting the record straight for some of the new listeners. And again, like every outing, I got something to prove. So let me tell you that 
I've been putting out records since, you know, I mean, my breakthrough project was in 08, you know right. what I'm saying? So we 10 years in just off that. And if you don't count the stuff that I did prior to even getting to the breakthrough, mm-hmm. you know, that's another 10 years on top of it. So like, I'm not new to the, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this, Tim. <laughs> uh, you spit, Clinton would have given me the sentence Obama has lifted, had lifted on uh, Take Notes. Uh, what does that track mean? Uh, I, I mean, it, I, I've been trying to figure it out, but I think I have you here, so I might as well ask you, yeah. For sure. I mean, that line, um, so the preceding line is, I'm a terror terrific. So uh, uh, one thing about me as an MC is I like alliteration. If you listen to my music, my discography, you'll hear a lot of alliteration in it. So me saying I'm a terror terrific, TTs, predator that's prolific. When I said predator, it took my mind to the super predator mm-hmm. line um, that Hillary and, and Bill had um, made famous back in the, what was that, the 90s? Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I caught super predator, it took me back into that chamber, you know, where they had these different laws, these drug laws, where they changed these laws, and a lot of people went to jail. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people went to jail for a really long time for crimes that didn't fit. So when I said I'm a terror terrific predator that's prolific, I'm a prolific predator you know what i'm saying like me with you know just like lyrical yeah. things um clinton would have gave me the sentence obama had lifted so obviously before president obama ended his term he had granted clemency to a lot of um inmates who were either unjustly imprisoned or just had like ridiculous sentences yeah. for crimes that didn't necessarily fit so it was like a play on words but also like being very aware of what's going on in politics um while also squeezing in some alliteration and just like you know kind of connecting the dots that's what my my lyricism does it's not all like on the surface there's like double triple entendres there's like things that might connect something that's really street to something that's really educational to something that might be like a reference from a movie a pop culture you know what i'm saying like really just kind of showing all the nuances of who i am as a person how does politics for you play a role in i mean your lyrics or in, in just hip hop culture i mean if you look at today you have trump as president uh how do you and kanye is vice president and kanye is vice president. how does that work i mean how does like a trump presidency for you how do you think that will maybe influence um not just hip hop but art in general like i mean do you see it as like in a weird way, a gift because there's so much right. now shit to pull from, right? Because it's crazy, crazy time. I mean, is is there's tons of content to pull from. You know, I think all great writers or, or artists uh, are able to pull from what's going on in the world. And I mean that from like you could be writing a sitcom or a movie, or you could be an MC, or you could be a, a, a author. You know what I'm saying? Like you could write amazing things off of what's going on right now, or a comedian. Right. You know, it's it's tons of it's tons and tons of material out there. Also, you know, I mean, dire straits and hard times. Also, when your back is against the wall, you come out swinging. You know, it's like you figure out a way. Um, There's also the aspect of this presidency connecting and unifying a lot of people, you know, on both ends of the spectrum, um, which which can also bring about change and make for better. So I think there are some, you know, I think there are some some nuggets of of goodness kind of engulfed in all of this craziness but overall it's craziness um to me though and and this is always and it doesn't matter who's in the white house and i hate to sound so shallow but it's like yo get money you gotta get money and, and that's not to say like my focus on riches but like get money and and figure out what's best for you and your family and how to get out of your situations and always be better than the person in the mirror 
yesterday. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter who's who's in the White House or what's going on. I got to figure out how to feed my family on a daily basis and and, and start generational wealth and, and break the cycle of growing up in the projects and having broken homes and things like that. And even if you are in a in a in a uh, maybe not the traditional family setting, just understand how to change the tide and have your kids do better than you and their kids do better than them and and leave a legacy and have something you know attached to your last name that's greatness that long long lives way after you you know perish from this earth um and that's not going to change no matter who's in the white house has that always been your mindset in terms like when you dropped 2008 i mean has that always been what (laughs) that was like get out the projects at that point you know what i'm saying And, and fortunately like i'm i'm I've fought so far from that person in 2008, but also I'm still the same exact person. Um, but yeah, it's, it was always about like, I make music not for money, you know, but I do business that would generate good business, you know, and that's like showing up on time and doing interviews right. and like all the things that are attached to the music industry and the business. But when I go in the studio, it's strictly about making the best art that I can make and, 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 you know, catering to my audience and my fan base and growing that. Um, and then once I walk out the booth, everything else is now the job part of it and just figuring out how to get it to the most people and how to do the most shows and things like that. And um, again, man, like the more that you uh, attain and I, like I know it's like taboo to say, but I think the the more notoriety you have, the more that you attain, the more fame that you have. Um, it enables you to be able to do more. You know, like yeah. if I had $10 million in the bank, I wouldn't buy 80 Bentleys. You know what right. I'm saying? Like I'd be in my neighborhood every day or the neighborhood I'm from every day trying to figure out ways to empower the next generation and the generation after and give them, you know, the tools that they need to compete with what's going on in the world. And that's the best of books or computers or whatever programs they're going to need or whatever STEM schooling they're going to need. You know, it's always about that for me because, again, like having 10, 20 dope projects is cool and it's something that, you know, like my musical standard test at the time, I believe, is something that people can always go back and listen to. But what's my impact? Yeah. Like wh- how you change the world? Like outside of a dope song, like what am I going to do that's going to outlive me and my kids? Mm. Uh, on cues, you, you spit self-taught, learned what I didn't know. Uh, what didn't you know about industry, the industry and the business of hip-hop prior to getting in? I didn't know anything. <laughs> like, not one thing. I watched uh, Video Music Box out to Ralph McDaniels, and I listened to, you know, WBLS and Kiss, and I was like, okay, well, EPMD got Benz's on their album cover, and Eric B. and Rakim are paid in full with right. these MCM suits and Gucci suits, and I was like, yo, like, these guys seem like they're rich, like they're on boats, and they're making a lot of money, and they're from the same, like, dire straits that i'm from you know it's the same humble beginnings that i'm from so for me that was really like my escape it was my escapism was something that i was passionate about but down the line it was something that i felt like could help change the outcome of my family and where we were where we started and not end out you know end off where we began um but i didn't know anything about the business i didn't know what it took to put out a record i didn't know what it was like to copyright your lyrics i didn't know what it was like to fingerprint your music i didn't know what it was like to get a sample declared or anything like that you know what i'm saying like everything that i've been able to accomplish and do in the business i had to learn from trial and error and really just not having anybody there to do it for me so having to figure it out myself did any of that i mean like the 
copyright the lyrics or the sampling clearance. Did any of that ever come back to kind of bite you in the ass in a way? Uh, no. Oh. Is there wood here? Yeah. All so, right. Yeah. Okay. Knock good, on some good, wood. Good, good. <laughs> um, at the end of uh, Got It, uh, Got It Hemmed, uh, you say, you just, you say, you say, I always wanted to say that on one of my joints. Are you referring to Nas's halftime, the sample that's there, which is my favorite Nas song of all time? Um, or, you know, the got it ham now, you never get the mic back. Or is there something else that you're referring to? It was literally the line before where I said, break it down. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember LL, like, break down, you know what I'm saying? Or like, break it down. Like, when you hear break it down, like, usually it went into the bridge or the breakdown of the song. And, like, I never had record up until this point in my career. I never really had a record like that where it was a moment where I could just, like, break it down, you know? And the drums drop out and you just got the keys and then the violin comes in and then the scratches come back in. Shout out to Boogie Blind. Shout out to my girl, Mappy, who uh, did the violin. And shout out to my man, Godfather, who played the keys. Um, It was just, like, me having a musical element in my music, which is something that's important to me. Um, like it, for, for a really long time, it was all about just like the illest rhymes, the best bars, how you spit the best bars. And now, you know, in addition to trying to make sure that I say the wittiest and, and dopest rhymes is also having like a lot of musicality in my joint. So it's not just like a bar fest, you know, it's a song because music is still music at the end of the day. And coming up in New York and in, in Brooklyn to be specific, a lot of my early emphasis was on, like, I got to be the illest rapper. You know, right. like, 10 years, 12 years later, I'm not really trying to prove to anybody I could rap. If you know I could rap, you know it. And if you don't think I can rap, there's nothing I can do right. outside of my discography now that'll prove that to you. So now it's just about creating, you know, dope different types of art you know what i'm saying so like when you walk in my gallery when the soul said and done it's like wow you know you see a, a lot of different colors in my spectrum you just mentioned it but a lot of listeners might listen to all praise do and not realize that the piano they're hearing or the violin they're hearing is actually a violin or a piano versus a, a machine or right. a sample uh and the scratchers are real and the right. singers are real right um if you could just kind of expand on like what is your favorite part about each of these but what does a live piano or a live violin kind of do for the music as well as your rhymes that maybe the machine could not do at this moment. I mean, this is just a different chamber. You know, you tap into a whole different level of creation because you, when you program in a a machine or or something on a computer, you know, for the most part, it's just going to be right on the one, the two, wherever you place it. You know what I'm saying? Um, For the most part, that's not to say that it's all like that. But when you creating like and you got a real violinist in the studio, you know, Mappy did a million takes just to get that, you know, because even when I thought it was great, she was like, yo, one more. And I was like, that's the greatest you're ever going to do. And she was like, one more, (laughs) you know, or Godfather with the keys, you know what I'm saying? Like him not being a, a, a trained pianist, you know, but him learning how to play by ear. Like you just get a raw realness in, in some of that live instrumentation that you can't get where you're just programming. Um, and also, you never know like what being in the studio and vibing and jamming is going to bring forth. Because I could have an idea, and Godfather could have an idea, and Mappy could have an idea, and Blind could have an idea of what we're going to do. And if I just send them the files, then that's what they're going to do. 
But we in that room together and we creating, it's like, yo, you know what? It'd be crazy. You know what I'm saying? Or, yo, that's ill. Or you might make a mistake. And you're like, no, we got to keep that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's just the creative aspect. You know, like really being able to create music is is dope, man. And um, I'm always like welcoming that type of vibe and energy in a session. Talk about the studio aspect. I mean, you mentioned in the album, uh, I think it's part of an interview or something, that you were very excited to get in studio with uh, Praise because you guys did the email thing prior to that. Um, what, what, after this happened, did you ever like look back at the projects you guys did and like think you could have done it in a quote unquote better in a way because if you guys were in studio together, like what did the studio aspect? Well, you bring? know, we didn't get in the studio. We still haven't. Like I met Praise for the first time last night. Really? Yes. And we have been working on music since 2013 or 14. Um, I'll wait until Praise is sitting here on this couch and he could tell everybody why we, you know, why he really hadn't met a lot of the people that he worked with prior to. Um, but yeah, he came up. He came up uh, to New York City. I had a show last night at SOBs and he came up and that was the first time we had officially met. Um, so we have yet to get in the studio to create, but we still have a great chemistry with each other. Um, and obviously there's tons of technology. So even though we weren't physically sitting across from each other, you know, there's Skype and there's yeah, FaceTime right. and there's obviously ways for us to communicate and, and talk to each other and talk through song ideas without physically being together in the studio. Um, but I am still really excited to see what we can cook up once we do get in the studio and make some records like from scratch. Uh, you know, you obviously talked about why, why you would work with, like why you work with people. Um, but I want to, I want to ask a question that I would ask these producers or artists about you if I were with them. So you talk about Premier, or even Prey, Shabam Shadik, uh, Static Selector, DJ Spin, Pumpkinhead, um, Marco Polo, Rest in Peace, Rest in Peace, uh, Sean P. Just to name a few of these people that you've worked with. Um, if I was asking, why do you mess with uh, a Torre? What do you think there? What do you think the common response would be? He's the illest shit ever. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I would like to think that there's a mutual respect. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't work with people that I don't respect musically or, you know, personally for the most part. You know, obviously, there's some types of paid features sometimes that people just want to buy a verse. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, even with those, like, I'm in a position now where I don't have to accept all of those or if, like, the artist is terrible. You know what I'm saying? I'll be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I'm in a position to be able to pass on stuff like that. But for the most part, like, the people that I seek out or people that I've worked with over my career, they're just people that I think are dope. You know what I'm saying? People that I respect um, lyrically or production-wise. Um, I mean, we don't, like, Primo and Pete Rock and Large Pro and Diamond and Ninth and Marco and... You know what I'm saying? The list goes on and on. It's not even worth even mentioning because obviously these are some of the greatest to ever right. do it. Um, you know, but a guy like Praise, for example, um, or a guy like Eric G, for example, you know, who's Grammy nominated now and works with Ninth Wonder Soul Council. I met Eric G through MySpace. You right. know, he wanted to send me beats back in like 07. And the first time he sent me a couple beats, I was like, man, this kid is talented, but it's not there yet. You know, but we stayed in communication and we kept talking. And it was funny because I was like, it's obvious he's influenced by Ninth Wonder. Right. Like you can hear it <laughs> in his production sound. And um, 
he kept sending me stuff and we stayed in contact. And then one time he sent the beat pack and it was like five joints in there that I loved. And I was like, yo, that's it. Now we ready. And those records ended up going on, um, daily conversation, which I dropped in 08. But that kind of was like the catalyst for him to reach out to other people and him meeting Scott Zoo, which then turned into his relationship with Ninth. And now he's part of that soul council. I always try to give people that I think a dope opportunity, talented a shot. So like, if I think you dope, and yeah, I might have Pete Rock and Prem on the album, but you might get sandwiched right between those guys. So right. make sure your drums is knocking and make sure you find the dopest sample and make sure we make the illest record because you're going to be put right in between those guys and your shit got to stand up to their quality. You know, so um, the same goes for Praise or anybody that I work with that's new MC wise or producer wise. Like I'm going to put you right in the pit with the Lions and you got to survive. What do you actually? I was thinking about it. what do you when you're creating these albums, or even for all praise do. What are you listening to? Uh, are you listening? To any, maybe not even listening to anything. But what are you? I mean, why you're writing? Or I don't know when. I don't know when I got to that point of not listening to stuff while I'm creating. But I am at that point now. Like when I'm creating music, um, I'm not listening to anything because I'm not necessarily trying to be influenced by anything or um, or hear something that might change a song like. You said Rex. You were just talking about Rex. So, like, if I'm working on a project and then Rex drops a new project and I happen to listen to Rex's project, we might have the same sample. And now I'm in my head like, yo, I got to take that off or I got to flip it or And I don't want to be influenced by anything outside of my creative process. So we got the same sample and the record come out. And now it's up for the people to decide who flipped the beat the best, who made the better song um, and things like that. So I just don't want to have any outside um, other artists influences obviously if we working together we creating together that's something different but i just don't like the other noise you know what i'm saying like when i'm creating but it wasn't always like that like i like when i did the double barrel album with marco i only listened to public enemy smooth the hustler and onyx and mop wow because i knew that was the vibe i was going for um the the approach of how i was going to deliver the lyrics you know like marco um he he really like orchestrated that project as far as obviously cooking up the music, but also getting me to kind of like dig in as a artist to deliver the records a certain way where I wasn't super comfortable initially with like being so like gravel pit, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But it was like, yo, Bower Brothers, like, I mean, Double Barrel is like an alter ego. You know, it's a collabo project. So I don't want it to feel like a Torrey album. I want it to have a different feel. And I want you to be able to differentiate, you know what I'm saying, between the two projects and the two sounds. And so, like, I'm glad I let him produce me on that project. But yeah, man, I was listening to, like, Onyx all day. I was listening to Smooth the Hustler, uh, Once Upon a Time in America all day. I was listening to P.E. all day. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, obviously, you're not just you're not just not you're not just an MC. You do radio. You have a podcast with your daughter uh, called Family Matters. Yeah. Um, you have a you have a ten year old son, um, young Tay Tay, young Nick. What this is going to be? A, not going here with not not going not the question you think I'm going to ask, and I'm not going to ask. Uh, I have two kids myself. What's your favorite book to read to them as a kid? Oh wow, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, so I was a young parent and. Um, I mean, I read like the stuff that kids were into or the stuff that I thought we should read, like Sesame Street books. And, you know, like but music was always like a big part of it, like my part of my parenting. So, you know, like anything that Elmo put out was a smash. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Um, 
Taylor, although she doesn't want to admit it, like she was, a, she came up like a little bit on Barney. You know what I'm saying? Like, so she was, we were into that. Nothing wrong with uh, that. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. She, she'll front on it now. 17 year old Taylor front, but 17 month old Taylor was all about that life. Um, and, and the same with Nick, you know, like we, there's a lot of music. So I, I mean, I'm sad to say, I don't, I, like there was nothing standoutish, you know what I'm saying? Like as far as literature yeah. that I read to them, but we, I would read, you know, just like whatever, whatever books came out. My daughter's like really into anime now. Her yeah. birthday just passed. So she got a bunch of anime books, right? And she's also really into reading. And, um, th- these books were, they, they write the books backwards. Like the cover art is the cover art is on the back, the back is on the front, oh, and wow. you read the books from the end to the beginning, and you also read them from right to left. Wow, yeah, it's crazy. I was like, yo, that's like a science project. I'm just trying to read a good story, a good book, and I got to do all this math and science. Um, and Nick, you know, um, I mean, he'll read like game instructions, how to beat Fortnite online. You know, that's what he's into. So that's what you know. I'll go over that with him, with with him. But as kids, you know, we didn't have that like typical. I guess just because I was kind of figuring out parenting, yeah. and a lot of my parenting skills came from the 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 lack of certain things as, as a child um things that i wanted to, like those voids that i wanted to fill in um but i was also like never really read to as a kid mm-hmm. so there wasn't like a, tra- a a transitional part that that passed down to me which is which is ill um it's funny cuz i discovered so many things about my childhood now as a parent things that i thought didn't matter or right. things that i that i thought like didn't have any bearing on my life or how i am as an adult and now I see as a parent, like, it had a big impact on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's something I never really thought about. Like, I remember, you know, like, going to see my son play football or basketball and not having my dad around for stuff like that. Or, you know, watching my parents not be together and deal with some of their demons coming up. And it made me... um stronger in the sense that it was like, well, I know I definitely don't want to be like that if I have kids. Um, But it's ill because, like, I try to do so many of those things that I didn't have growing up. So now, you know, like I said, we start in a new chamber, a new chapter, and um, new legacy. And so things like that I didn't get a chance to do or experiences I didn't have with my parents, I try to make sure I have with my kids. But that's ill. I, I I never thought about the fact that, like, I never got right to as a kid. Is that why, I mean, uh, it's part of the reason you started the Family Matters podcast was kind of a way to, like, I guess, you know, be closer to your daughter. And we, sense. I mean, I don't or think we can get, you know, have a conversation because she's 17 years old. So right. I understand that I'm not there yet. <laughs> how, ex- do, how do you get uh, four and my son's about to be six? Okay. So, so I, you got a little bit of time. I got a little time. I know, like, I, a guy I know has a, a couple years ago, he said when his daughter turned 13, he put her aside and said, listen, you're going to hate dad. I know that. But don't worry, Daddy's still gonna love you no matter what. So I know, I, I, and I know how I was a kid. I was an asshole. But uh, <laughs> so, so I mean, for, for the for the Family Matters podcast, is that like kind of a weird way to? I don't know, weird ways. Weird's the word, but to have that conversation with your daughter without her being like, God, Dad, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> our, you, our relationship, Taylor and I, like this, like super strong. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's going to be a day I, I'm prepared for it. If there's going to be a day where it goes like that, or obviously she's going to have her own life and venture off to do her own things. But 
we've been A1 since day one, you know, and the reason we started the podcast was because of that. It wasn't like, like a roundabout way to try to figure out how to have a conversation. It was like bringing people into our conversation because it was so strong. You know, um, my, my wife, uh, has two sisters. Um, you know, she grew up with her two sisters and they talk about my relationship with Taylor, you know what I'm saying? Like so many females, always commend us about our relationship, you know, like, mm. and, and I say females specifically because she's a female for one. Um, and also that relationship, I guess, because I'm not a woman, you know, that relationship with your dad is a special one. And so like, if they see something special in it, in our relationship, then it's something that I, I definitely take heed to. Um, and so we would just always have ill conversations in the house about life, about music, about movies, about, you know, she, she enlightens me and opens me up to so many things. So I do like learn a lot from her and I'm hoping she's learning a little bit from me as well. Um, but like, yeah, you, you get to a point where your kids get to a certain age where now you guys are having different types of conversations and, you know, she's, she's made me so, um, open-minded to so many different things that I probably would have never gave any thought to prior to, which is ill. Um, so to answer your question again, the reason for the podcast was to bring people in. And then I looked at it as like, well, we have amazing conversations. So I think that's dope content, but also sometimes we touch on things that other parents or maybe dads might not have a, a way to have that conversation or not have a, a way to start it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a way that you can like listen to this and then like figure out, Oh wow, that's crazy. They would talk about that. <laughs> so what do you think? You know, like it was that. And then it was also like giving her a platform and a voice, you know what I'm saying? And understanding that she could do or be anything. And that, um, if you know, getting into media or journalism, anything like that was in her plan or her path, just kind of giving her that, that beginning, that jump start. because I think a lot of people don't have people to help them on that path. Or at least a lot of people where I'm from, right. you know, that, like, there was no nepotism cause nobody has shit to give you, right. you know what I'm right. saying? To start off. Um, and so like me is, is just like always extending any of my opportunities and things that I've been able to accrue in my lifetime and making sure that they readily available to my kids. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to send my son to go hang with Jamal Crawford, you know what I'm saying? Cause he loves basketball and Jamal Crawford is a homie. I'm like, yeah, man, like we, let's just go to his house and yeah, work yeah, out. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like just have those opportunities, um, to, to give my kids every chance in the world cause they deserve it. Uh, speaking of, I mean, you listen to the podcast and there's no, it doesn't, I mean, the chemistry between you, it's like, there's, it's not. She smart. is the star yeah, of that but, show, by the way. I'm you, definitely, you do, well. you do well. I'm just fodder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of, obviously, uh, is there, do you remember the first song, I guess maybe even, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hip hop uh, song that you, you kind of played for your kids that, and, and, it, and, and, and it was a song was that you're proud of playing for them because it was important to you. And then, do you remember the first song that your uh, your daughter played for you that you might have been like, "Ah, it's gonna be whack," and you actually were surprised that it was not. It you know it it, it did change the beat. You weren't you know you were like, "Oh, it's a different beat. That's great." Um, do you remember those two tracks? Um, song specific. Um, I remember trying to make Taylor this is so bad it's terrible parenting but it's also <laughs> hip hop parenting i remember trying to make taylor understood understand why eminem was so important i was like there's not another writer wordsmith lyricist 
um, song structure deliverer. I was like, there's not a lot of Eminem. There's only one Eminem, but there's not a lot of people even in that class. And she was like, like, yeah, he was popular. He was famous. I get it. But like, why? And I'm like playing all of these horrible songs with terrible looks. We talking about yeah, yeah. like, uh, we talking about Slim Shady LP. We talk about Eminem. You know what I'm saying? Marshall Mathis LP. So, Clearly, the content was not what you should be playing for your kid. But I was like, no, you got to understand, like, listen to the way there's a rhyme scheme within a rhyme scheme within a rhyme scheme. So, like, it was so bad. But he was saying the most heinous shit. You know what I'm saying? So, there was that. Um, I remember the first, so Taylor's been going to concerts for a really long time. Um, she was like into music and I was obviously a part of the business. And so I was able to use a lot of my relationships, you know? So like, I remember when she wanted to go see Diggy Simmons and I knew people at his label. So I like, I got us a backstage nice. meet and greet, which was cool. So like, I, I started her off on a totally wrong foot, you know what I'm saying? Cause like her first concert ever was like, oh yeah, we'll get there. You know, we'll get there hour early. We'll go meet Diggy. We'll chill. You'll have front right at the stage. You'll take photos. And it was all downhill from this. So now it's like, yo, can we go see? I'm like, yo, I don't know these people, but, um, we've gone to a ton of concerts um five seconds of summer um uh, which is a band that she's into we actually saw them i think we saw them here at the garden no we saw the 1975 here um but she's like into a lot of different music not just like hip-hop and r&b you know she listens to pop we just bought her some vinyl for her birthday um so we were listening to the moonlight soundtrack on vinyl wow. you know what i'm saying like she's she's ill she's ill she's a different breed i'm not just saying that because she's my kid but she's like an ill human being nicholas plays the worst songs ever because he's 10 he's like dad did you hear the new six nine and this is before six nine this is like because his his rise and fall was really quick so like i'm going back like a summer ago he's like dad you hear this new six nine and you hear this record and i'm like yo these songs are not terrible but not for you to be playing at 10 because there's no clean version you know what i'm saying i'm like yo turn that off like i love that we have a great relationship and that you feel like you could present and say anything to me but you also can't just be playing songs with every f-bomb dropping every two (laughs) seconds and so um you know i try to put him onto a lot of music just like classic hip-hop stuff um anything that has a sample you know i'm like oh you know where they got that from you know like little wayne has uproar right now so i would introduce him to like a g Depp. you know what i'm saying and then try to run through like the bad boy catalog which sampled a lot of stuff so then you run into like the diana ross catalog Mm. so really just trying to have a rich music history um but one thing about my son is he he listens to my music which is cool you know what i'm saying like yeah because you sometimes you don't get that like taylor she'd be cool she's like no no i listen i know it i like it but nick he he um you know like i'll go through his like youtube search history and it'll be like a lot of Torrey stuff in it, which is cool i'm like you know the cd's right there right you're like you know it's on the computer you can do this but i'll take those streams as well (laughs) i think right now i'm in a phase where like uh my kids listen to kids bop Word. It's like got out of my mind. It's, it's, yo, it's huge. We were just talking about, so a homie of mine, um, just had a baby and brought the baby to the house. And I didn't know about, uh, Baby Shark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yo, it's like, it has a jillion views a second. Like, yo, it's yeah. out of this world. I, I didn't know anything about it. And they were like, yo, he's like infatuated. And it's so crazy to me how music can do, like, as a kid, you know, I'm not talking about, he's eight, nine months. So, 
he literally is just into the sound, the sonics, the what it looks like yeah. on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Like it's crazy how how human beings, but of course when you look at babies who are just like sponges to it all, how they react to certain things. And although it's a phenomenon, right? You like what about this is making it click with all of these kids and even if you could like brainwash the the 10 11 year olds with just like repeatedly playing stuff if you play something for a baby one time and they cry until you play it again right. that's like amazing to me that's crazy it's a science experiment yeah it definitely is <laughs> definitely is um i i i i, I want to end this with uh a question I've asked like DMC and uh, Yo-Yo and it's it's about kind of if you look at your career so far. Shout out to DMC and yeah, Yo-Yo. Let's just say that. Yeah. Shout out to you for interviewing DMC and Yo-Yo. Yeah, thank you. I still can't. I'm still uh, still can't <laughs> believe I used to listen to their cassette tapes and I'm like talking to people. Uh, but um, you look at your career and like it could be something that you're in the middle of writing. Who knows? But is there a lyric out there? Actually, two of the things because I, I saw you do the freestyle with Sway. Where you answered every question, which was pretty incredible to watch, right? <laughs> but uh, has there ever been for you? Have you ever freestyled and then like thinking back to a freestyle you did and look back like, shit, I'm nice, like you know, like <laughs> holy shit, that was a great lyric. And then if if you look at your discography and stuff you've written, is there that lyric out there, that verse out there that you've kind of written or spit and be like, wow, I'm I'm good. I'm like you know, I got this. <laughs> Um, the freestyle stuff, like it happens obviously right in the moment. And, um, I don't think I'm as good a freestyler as I used to be. Um, that was something that drew a lot of people to me when I was younger was that I had the ability because I couldn't go into the studio. Like nobody had money for a studio. Nobody had pro tools because there was no pro tools. Right. You know, like you, somebody had to believe in you. You had to have a deal. You had had to know a drug dealer, somebody that was going to put you in the studio. You couldn't just right. have a studio at your crib. Um, so a lot of my early stuff, you know, like just kind of embarking on this journey as an MC was freestyling. You know, if a, if a cassette tape came with the instrumental, I was buying it right. because it gave me an opportunity to make a song, you know, write a song. I didn't know what to think about song structure, counting bars, um, but I knew I could write rhymes. And when the beat was playing, sometimes I would just freestyle. We'd be outside. We'd be banging on the table in the cafeteria, super hip hop cliche stuff, yeah. but um, freestyling coming off the head. So like, I never, you know, this is before you could record everything and capture everything. Um, so people would come back to me days later, weeks later, like, yo, you said yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, what? I said that? Like, That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? And, and when I had a few of those different moments, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I'm, I'm like doing something with this. Um, because I couldn't, like, I could, if I freestyle, like, at three o'clock, 303, I don't know what I said. Right, yeah, you know nice, what I'm saying? Yeah. But those lyrics, like, in that moment would stick with people and they would come back and they'd be like, yo, you said this and you connected this to that. And, you know, we were standing right there and somebody walked by and you, and I was like, oh, wow that's ill you know so it's good to see i still somewhat have a little bit of that i had no idea sway was going to put me on the spot like that <laughs> either you know but sway is a genius in that you know he's somebody that i speak to often and i have a great relationship with and he was like i needed to make this interview different i yeah, needed yeah. people to, like because i've had you on the show before and you rhymed on the show before and some people get in some people and then some people skip right over he was like i wanted to do something that was going to stand out that was going to make people 
turn it up nice. and pay attention and really showcase your talent in a different way. And I was like, that's what makes you sway. You know, yeah, that's yeah, why you've yeah, been yeah. here for as long as you've been here. You mean what you mean to the culture because you constantly doing things like that and giving guys like myself an opportunity to perform on your platform, which is huge, which was dope. Um, as far as written lyrics and things in my discography, um, I'll say that my last full length album and title is my favorite body of work of mine. Um, it's just like, it's so many different things that I touch on on that project. A song like Trouble Times, you know, with Mac Wiles, where, you know, I'm literally talking about trouble times in different instances. But the second verse of Trouble Times is crazy to me when I, when I, if you listen to it, like I break down the cycle of a young woman in the hood and, and how, um, her, yearning for acceptance you know never gets fulfilled and then you know she ends up pregnant by a dude that has a daughter and then like i tie in the last line of where her daughter's beginning to where she started oh, wow. you know what i'm saying yeah. so like that's that's something like i listen back to that song i'll be like yeah that's crazy or um i got a song on that project called the end and it's the only song on the project where i use the n-word and um me, the funny part about that, or the learning part about that is when I dropped Daily Conversation in 2008, I had a song called The Niggas Is Coming, produced by Pr Crisis. And that word didn't mean anything to me in 2008. It was just another word that I used. It was in my vocabulary as an MC in my everyday conversation. And then I put that project out and I traveled a little bit and I toured and I got a chance to see the world and I got a chance to meet other people and I got a chance to perform on stages for people who didn't even know the language but they loved hip hop and right. they stood there and nigged me back. Oh, and I didn't yeah. like that. Yeah. You know what oh, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and it wasn't with any malice or any ill intent. It was just what they knew as hip hop fans. It's just another word like sun, like hat, like kicks. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's another word. It's slang, but you know, like, the 10th time it was like, yo, nigga, sign my CD. You oh, know what I'm saying? I was like, yo, this is like, this is my greeting card to the world. This is how I'm introducing myself. This is the music. This is the content. This is the energy I'm putting out in the world. And it's coming back. And I don't want it to come back like this. And so um, I made a vow that I wouldn't use that word in my music anymore. And so that song, The N, you know, it's E, capital N, D. Obviously, the N standing for the N word um, was like me just explaining throughout my life where that word came from, what it meant to me, and how I got to get it out of here because, like, I'm, I'm cool on it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, songs like that, you know, songs like Crown, that's off the project. I think it's, it's just, like... It's it's also the reason why I haven't gone back in and made like another full length album because I don't know where to take my conversation yet from there. Like, where do I talk about now? You know, I think I might need some more life experience before I go back in the studio and cook up like another full length project. But that's not to say I don't need to still exercise. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my lyrical muscles, and that's right. where we get a project like All Praises Do to kind of hold my fan base over and to stay sharp and my skills until I get to the next album cycle. Um, but yeah, that's like, you know, I know I didn't fully answer your question with a specific fine, lyric, perfect. but it's like those songs mean a lot to me. Uh, album All Praise Do, great album. Uh, my guest is Torre. Uh, thank you for joining me in the library. Tim, thank you, man, for having me. This is great, great questions, thank great you. energy. All Praise Do is out there right now. Check it out if you haven't.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.